and welcome back to another episode of Relatable Chapters. In this episode, we're joined by Christy Burbara. Christy is the founder of Sweat for the Head, a fundraising initiative to raise money for Lifeline Aotearoa, also raising awareness about mental health through fitness and fundraising events such as quiz nights and golf days. We start off the conversation by painting a picture of who Christy is and how she rolls. This flows into her key turning points and the learning she has gathered along the way. From tripping through third world countries, meeting her lovely partner, and starting a full-time job in hospitality while studying a double major. This then leads into the death of a close friend due to mental health, the grief that follows, and eventually the birth of the Sweat for Head Foundation. This yarn covers an array of topics and really demonstrates how kind, caring, competent, and most definitely hardworking Christy is. Sweat for the Head links will be in the bio. Go check them out. It is the best way to keep up to date with the up and coming events. And if you can, always, always, always drop a cheeky donation in. Don't forget to click on the podcast follow button and give the potty a five star review. Episode snippets and more can be found on the Instagram account, Relatable Chapters. You are more than welcome to flick me through some feedback or even potential guests. I hope you benefit from listening to this episode like I did, and let's get into it. Christy, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, how do you actually say your last name? Burbara. Burbara. So Christy Burbara. Yeah. Um, You've been uh, recommended by a few people. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got you on today. Um, but before we start, three things you're grateful for. I'm definitely grateful for my health. Mm-hmm. Um, grateful, yeah, for this opportunity to sit down with you today. Um, and actually grateful, although it's pretty crappy of a day, actually grateful for the weather, for the ability to, yeah, see something other than sunshine for a little bit because... I don't know. I like a, I like that? a dull day sometimes. Every yeah. now and then, it allows you that time to sort of set, reset, and sit yeah. down and relax a little bit more than it's kind of like an admin day. As it well. is, yeah. Makes you feel not so bad about being inside to do housework and all yes. of the dumb chores that you have yes. to do. I hate wasting a sunny day, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm grateful for the opportunity today. No, that's an interesting one. Yeah. I would agree with that. It's a bit overcast, though. It is. Yeah. Um. Whoa. I'm grateful that I uh, got to fly around yesterday for work. That was first for me. But I'm also grateful that I sat next to this old lady who, and I'm grateful that she asked if I was okay. Mm-hmm. I was trying to sleep, you know, and on the plane you can't really sleep well. So I was like, yeah. head in my hands and, went, and she said, oh, are you okay? Kind of thing. This is way into the flight as well. And I actually pulled out my headphones and had a good yarn to her. 91-year-old nice. lady, first time she's been flying in like five years. Wow. She had only travelled around the or a little bit in the world when she was like way younger with her partner. Mm-hmm. No maps, no technology, all that shit. Like it was crazy. And I'm grateful that I took that opportunity to actually listen to somebody and ask her a few questions and that it was pretty wholesome. Um and Oh It's hard when you don't do just generic shit. Yeah. I'm grateful for this podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. To have gone this far and to be able to chat with interesting people like yourself. Um, and this one came in 
into uh, the limelight with your um, sweat for the head. Yeah. So that's what we're going to get into, um, which you'll explain a bit near the end. So mm-hmm. we've gone through the turning points again. Uh, so we've got the World Challenge Expedition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vietnam and India, mm-hmm. travelling at a young age. So that'll be quite an interesting topic. Yeah. Meeting your partner, starting in hospitality, um, Bryn's death, which... It's his third year anniversary today, isn't it? It is. Today is the day. So um, he's popped up a few times. Uh, Anna Blackburn, one of the very first episodes, and Charlotte Miller just recently. Mm -hmm. Now Christy Burborough. Burborough. Yeah, nailed it. (laughs) All linked to Bryn. Um, So yeah, it's three year anniversary. So Mm -hmm. rest easy on that, man. And then we'll go into Sweat for Head. But to um, paint the picture a little bit, I suppose I asked uh, a few people. For some information, mm-hmm. your awesome friend, Georgia Willard. Yes. She's a gem. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, you don't, you don't seem too nervous. She didn't really throw you under the bus, which is good. <laughs> but they, like, a lot of it was like, you're really kind and caring and extremely competent. Mm-hmm. So how old are you? I'm 24. 24. Mm-hmm. Extremely confident at 24. So she, one of the things she brought up was that um, around Christmas, coming to Christmas, you mm-hmm. work with her as well? Yes. As well as she's joined in with your sweat for the head. Yes. Yeah. We have worked together in the past. We yeah. worked at Good Neighbour together. Right. We don't work so much together anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, our training together for sweat for the head on occasion. And yeah, still very she, much. she's doing the half as She well. is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll tap on <laughs> But uh, the kind of caring part is like you've spent a lot of time in uh, making a chocolate pretzel reindeers mm-hmm. and a sleigh for everybody and writing little cards, which uh, encapsulates how much you actually care for everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's a small gesture. Um, she also mentioned that a lot would consolidate you about their own problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're quite a level-headed person and open for that. Uh, but she also said that it wasn't really much the other way around. Uh, only just recently you've started coming into, I suppose, sharing mm. with other people. Um, so trust, trust in people, mm-hmm. uh, which I may touch on a bit later. Um <laughs> but you did a double major. I did. You did. I did. And yeah. what? So I did. Uh, I did a conjoint degree in business management and law, um, and then I double majored in strategic management and supply chain in my business degree, and then did honors for both of my degrees. So six at the same time. Years working full time. Working full time, studying full time, and training. And training. Yeah, and for a lot of it as well, um, which I guess feeds into a little bit later in our conversation, a lot of the time as well, um, my partner lived in a different city too, so there was a lot of extra travel yeah, to make yeah. that relationship work as well. So, Fucking hell. Yeah, so she said that, um, that you're very confident, like I mentioned, but she also made the comment of the question you'd normally ask is like, is she capable of doing it? And she's like, yes, she can. She's Christy. Mm-hmm. So you tend to do a lot. Um, and you got great time management. Uh, where did that come from? I think it's definitely something I grew up around. Mm-hmm. Um, both of my parents have very good time management as well and have, especially my dad, has lived a very busy life. And um, we've been blessed to experience life in the fast lane with both of our parents. Mm-hmm. So I think it's something that's always sort of been built into me from a very young age. Um, and I guess also as I get older, that realisation that there is – there's always time to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You just have to find the time. So, How have you dealt with prioritisation? 
I'm very much a, a, a list maker. So yeah. everything I do is to-do list. Yeah. Um, work, play, everything. My phone has a million to-do lists in the notes section. My diary at work is every single day is a to-do list. If so, you've got so many to-do lists, do you ever get them done? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's that, that ability to prioritise your to-do list. So you might have 20 things on it, but mm-hmm. if five of them have an asterisk or something next to them, they're your top five. If you get those done, it's a good day. If, and everything else, you just carry over to the next again. I but, talked to a workmate about this, about prioritising our emails, mm-hmm. but we don't get many emails. Right. But like, if you're in a very email mm-hmm. uh, kind of role, uh, you'd start asterisking everything, yes. making it important. Yeah, but at what point do you make everything important and then realize that once again you're back at square one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you fight against that? Um, again, I think exactly the same thing. You've just explained exactly how my inbox works at work as yeah. well. Everything ends up with a red flag next to it, and yeah. then yeah, you kind of have to sit down every now and then, and I guess reset and recheck your priorities and figure oh, out yeah. what actually is important versus yeah. what can wait for another day, but. As I say, I definitely believe that everything that you want to do, you you will make time for. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you have to be very realistic with your expectations on yourself as well. And I think that's something that I'm slowly starting to realize too, that, wow, there's always time to do everything you want to yeah. do. So then with your double majors, honors, mm-hmm. all that stuff, you six years, mm-hmm. six years you get um, exams come around twice a year that's 12 kind of periods of exams yeah how do you have fun during that period as well um and and work and have relationship yeah it was tough it was tough I think do you think you got better as you went on I think I definitely got better as I went on but I also worked smarter not harder as I went on too um I learned very quickly juggling as many balls as what I was what I needed to do to Mm -hmm. get what I wanted um I probably could have put a lot more effort in if I wasn't trying to do quite as much as what I was doing and um but you but everything would be booked to a T what about spontaneous spontaneity oh, I can't even say it <laughs> spontaneous. Un- I don't think I could either so spontaneity we'll um I think if I'm honest I lent on other people around me for mm-hmm being spontaneous Mm -hmm. um I definitely throughout high school and leading into university was never much of a spontaneous Mm -hmm. kind of person I was definitely very much black and white everything was planned and timed and then I guess I started to meet people and grow with people that were a little bit more spontaneous that sort of taught me that value of letting go and having Mm -hmm. fun and balancing what you're building for yourself in a future, but also remembering that every day that you're alive is a gift and you have to celebrate those days mm. while you're in them rather than looking back and thinking, what if I had have gone out for that drink or, yeah, gone to that party so or drinking, away on that trip? drinking's not your thing? No, not really. Um, I definitely would be lying if I said I never drank, mm-hmm. but... I definitely didn't live the student life to the extent most people <laughs> live the student life. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and even yeah. <laughs> and even to this day, I'm definitely more of a every now and then I'll have a big night. Yeah, and then won't for months. How big was your twenty first? Oh my! 
This would be the one time Georgia throws me under the bus. <laughs> Have you got some notes on this one? Yeah, I yeah. Just <laughs> ended. Yeah. So my twenty first was the night of all nights in my life. Probably the one time I could hands down say that I was hung over the next day. Um, but yeah, um, I'm pretty but sure. Before we get to how that ended, <laughs> another one like she mentioned about your you're super grateful for everybody around you mm-hmm. and your support structure. Uh, it's never I did this alone. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, you lent on a few other people. For this spontaneity, yeah, that's the one. See, I'm good at math, <laughs> not English. Yeah, I don't know why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got a great support system around you, and you're super grateful for that. And that on your 21st, you did 21 shots with 21 different people who have supported and inspired you throughout your life. Yeah. And then how did that end? <laughs> the 21. I'm glad I did 21 shots with 21 different people <laughs> instead of trying to do it myself. But I remember the day so clearly. Um, not being a big drinker, my family my family does do events very yeah. well. Um, I'm sure you've had a drink or two with my dad at some point at the Maris Clubs. But, um, yeah, I remember having a conversation with my dad the morning of my 21st, and he was like, right, we've got beers, we've got wines, we've got cider, we've got a slushy machine, everything's all go. What are you going to drink tonight? And I was like, well, I don't think I want any of that. So <laughs> I'll go to the liquor store and I'll – sort myself out yeah. so I remember driving to the liquor store in Rotatuna and standing there for half an hour looking at the shelves going what am I going to drink tonight so I finally was like right 42 below Fijol vodka that's going to be my drink of the night and oh I'm going to drink God. it with sparkling water so that I'm hydrating at the same <laughs> time as I'm drinking in the hope that something good will come out of it so I had been drinking that all night I was pouring all my own drinks. I knew exactly how much alcohol mm-hmm. was going in the cup. And I got to the 21 shots. I passed them out so that I didn't have to do them. And then it got closer and closer to the end of the night. And I remember walking up to the bar and saying to um, the friend of ours that was working at, um, how much is left in my bottle? And she hands me the bottle and there's probably only sort of like an inch and a half from the bottle of this yeah, yeah. vodka left. And everyone's starting to talk about going to town. I was like, right, well, I've got to go to town. But I turned to um, my friend Zach at the time and I was like, well, surely we finish the bottle before we go to town. (laughs) Um, And he was like, okay, we may as well. So I remember pouring the biggest drinks of my life. Like it must have been mostly vodka and only the tiniest little splash of water at the top. And I'm pretty sure he downed his and I downed mine. And then the next thing I know, I was sitting on the floor in front of the bar in the hall that we had hired out for my 21st. And my dad's trying to get to the bar to get another drink. I was like, I'm not moving. He was like, well, just because you're finished drinking doesn't mean everyone else has. And I was like, well, I can't get up. At this point, I was like, I'm not making it to town. I can't even stand up. I'm not moving from this (laughs) spot. So in the end, I got lifted onto a chair. And I was sitting there. I was like, I'm not feeling good. It's all starting to hit me. So my night... 100% 100% ended with my head in a red bucket. Nice. Um, Georgia's partner, Matt, was rubbing my back and Georgia was tying my hair up so that I got no vomit in my hair. <laughs> and that was virtually how it ended. All my friends had to carry me to the car. My auntie drove me home. Liam, my partner, then had to carry me inside the house because I couldn't walk from the car even inside the house once we got home. My auntie spent the night like wiping my mouth out with a flannel oh so that I God. couldn't chase the spew in the morning. Yeah. And yeah, that Christmas I got 
um, yeah, little mini bottles of vodka and red buckets. And yeah. also for my 22nd birthday, I got little mini bottles of vodka and red buckets. Yeah. So it's definitely not a night that I'm it's living a, down anytime soon. A classic New yeah. Zealand kind of 21st ending. Yeah. So I'm quite happy to be the sober driver most weekends. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. So that's a bit of, bit of who you are. Yeah. I suppose. Um, but also there's a lot of sporting in there as well that, What's happening at the end? Mm-hmm. But your first turning point is World Challenge Expedition. So there's two of them: Vietnam and India. Yeah. So 15 to 18 mm-hmm. area. What is the World Challenge Expedition? So World Challenge is like an organisation that takes um, young sort of adults, I guess, or mm-hmm. teenagers overseas and um, to different places. So yeah, as you say, I went to Vietnam in 2014 and India in 2016. And both times I went with a group of girls from school um, and we went for a month each time. And basically while you're on a World Challenge expedition, you do um, like an acclimatization trick, mm-hmm. a main trick, which is usually about a week long, five days to seven days long, um, a community project, which lasts about a week. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the 28 days that you're away is just R&R or travel time from one place to the next. So yeah, Vietnam was probably the first time I've ever done a big trip mm-hmm. solo without being solo. So mm-hmm. solo without any immediate good friends or family. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was only 15 when we left to go on that trip. And it was an eye-opener. The first time I guess I'd travelled to a country that wasn't a very modern country mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, I can agree with that. I yeah. did the India and Nepal at the end of my trip last year, and that's just fucked though. Yeah, but so way. cool. Yeah, amazing, beautiful. But the way that different people live their lives, though. Mm-hmm. So it opened your eyes to what exactly? So I think the first the first trip definitely opened my eyes to the world that's out there mm-hmm. um, and probably fueled the love that I have for travel now. Mm. Um, but also very much kind of opened my eyes to, yeah, the way that other people live, exactly like you say. Um, you build an appreciation for it. You got A hundred percent. Yeah. Like I've, I've heard a few people in my life say that they love traveling, but there's no place like home. Like there's mm. nothing like coming back to New Zealand. And I think that trip really emphasized that for me at a really young age. Like, well, I had the best time over there and memorable experiences that I'll take with me for the rest of my life. There was nothing like flying back into Auckland and seeing your family (laughs) and friends and even just the greenness of New Zealand for the first time again. 100%. Yeah. And then I think India was exactly the same, like the same kind of values. But I think being that little bit older, um, probably kind of that I learned a lot more about myself Mm -hmm. on the trip to India, a lot more about the way that, I deal with my own emotions in very uncomfortable situations. And That's a very young age to make that connection. Yeah. And I think I think I was kind of forced to go to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I say when I went to Vietnam, I didn't go with a lot of close friends, but mm-hmm. I still went with a lot more people that were my age mm-hmm. and that were, had been in my year group at school for a couple of years. So I did mm-hmm. know them reasonably well. Whereas when I went to India, I almost went alone. Mm-hmm. Like, I was the first person that, um, Sacred Heart had taken on two World Challenge expeditions mm-hmm. because the Vietnam trip was the first time we'd ever been involved in a World Challenge. And I'm pretty sure I was the only person that came back for round two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of, 
2016 was the end of my year 13. So most most people that went on that trip were still going back to school the next mm. year. So I did feel a little bit more isolated, I guess, on that trip and had to sort of look a little bit more inwardly than what I had done before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as I got older too, I also valued my friends and family and the connections I had with them that little bit more. Mm. You get out of that sort of... Um, I don't know. It's sort of like you come to the realization that you're more than just yourself and that mm-hmm. you are you are the people that are around you as well and your connections with them are so valuable. So Yeah, and it also pictures how valuable you are to mm-hmm. say like I'm just thinking in a negative sense, like if you have a connection with somebody, you realise how much of a negative impact they're having on you, mm-hmm. you realise how much that's actually affecting you. So you, so you value yourself more in your connections. So if there's someone who's not providing you with the right connection, I suppose mm-hmm. you could say, I can't really articulate it. Um, yep. Then it's like, see you later. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have time for you. Yeah. Mm. And I think, yeah, I 100% agree with what you've just said. And I think that that ties perfectly into that stage in your life as well. I don't know if you found it when you left school, but I found when I left school, it was almost like the perfect opportunity to make those decisions as well, mm-hmm. to go, right, these are the people that are truly adding value to my life. They are the people that mm-hmm. are I'm going to continue to invest in these relationships in the coming years. And then the others that, as you say, don't perhaps add quite as much value to your life that you're still 100% going to keep up with what they're doing in their life and wish them all the best, but aren't necessarily the people you're going to put put your eggs into their baskets as you move on. Yeah, so... I think while I was away on that trip, I definitely was forced to look a lot more inward and start to make those decisions as you kind of took that next step into almost adulthood outside yeah. of the comfort zone of high school. I was going to say, do you think that was a good kind of gap year um, situation for you? It was. It was like so a, Had you planned already on what you, to study? Yes. Yeah. So you already committed. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was a great opportunity to have, yeah, a bit of a gap year without having a gap mm-hmm. year. Um because that's that self-discovery that you kind of mm. need, in a sense, to realise what you're doing is what you want to do. Yeah, mm. I think so. So what's the competitive swimming aspect of this? So I guess I'd been swimming, I'd always kind of swum growing up and played a lot of sport. And then when it came time for high school and school got a little bit more intense, I had to make a decision what I wanted to do full time. And so I chose to swim. Um, and I swam all the way up until my year 12, um, which was 2015. So I had swum all the way through my first trip through Vietnam mm-hmm. um, and came back from that and tried to make a bit of a comeback once I got back. But I find I found anyway, because I started swimming a little bit later on in my life, I was constantly playing a bit of a catch-up game mm-hmm. to the people that had started that little bit earlier. And I guess when I went away to Vietnam, you kind of, you take that step back um, for the month that you're out of the pool and it's almost like for every day you're out of the pool, you're three steps backwards. Yeah. So you trying to catch, felt that. yeah, I felt like trying to catch back up. I was really running uphill. Um, so yeah, I guess when I made the decision in year twelve that I was going to go on World Challenge again at the end of year thirteen, um, I made the decision at the same time to stop swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have freed up a bit of time. It freed up a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of time. But I think it also, it also was probably the first point in my life where because I had so much time, I really had to think what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
yeah, probably for the first time, I didn't have a sport. I didn't have that kind of involvement mm-hmm. in a team environment other than being, yeah, in friend groups and that at school. So I think it just kind of, yeah, sort of freed me in a way, as you say. Um, yes, I lost swimming, but it meant that, um, yeah, I had more free time to do do other things. And instead of kind of just letting swimming go by the wayside, I I actually started my first proper job outside of working for dad mm-hmm. um, and was a swim coach for a little while at, right. at St. Paul's. So I kind of, I left swimming myself, but started teaching others. And yeah. so that kind of bridged the gap for me until I went overseas. And then, yeah, that second time I went overseas, as you say, I did a bit of self-discovery and came back and kind of sort of, it was like a reset of, of life from that point and kind of the focus on the next stage, which mm-hmm. was that university journey and everything that's kind of come from that. Did you ever realise that you were doing that kind of self-discovery, uh, reflecting on oneself during that period? Or was this kind of a later fact you're like, oh, that's what I actually ended up I don't ended think up. so, if I'm being honest. I think it's it more as I look back on it, yeah. that's what I was doing. Do you journal at all? I did while I was away, but oh, okay. it's not something that I actively yeah. do now. Um, yeah, no, that's just interesting because normally, yeah, people will journal and say, why am I acting like mm-hmm. this or blah, 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 but you didn't even do any of that. No. That's no, good that it's like in hindsight it is twenty twenty, but mm-hmm. making the realisation it's quite powerful. Eh? Yeah, 100%. Something else then just popped into my head. Mm-hmm. You went to Sacred Heart? I did. Religious education? Yeah. Do you reckon... If you would have children, you would want them to do religious education throughout high school? Oh, it's are such you religious a hard now? one. I am. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't actively go to church every single mm-hmm. Sunday, but yeah, I do I do as a person lean on my faith a little bit. So yeah, I do I am Catholic, I am mm-hmm. religious, but yeah, don't actively practice. Um Yes, I think I would want mm-hmm. my children to go to a Catholic school. I definitely would um, Where I'm coming from that is that you have to take it. Mm-hmm. I understand that it is a UE, so mm-hmm. university entrance um, topic, but at that age, I'd much rather my child do something else that is as well university entrance if that's what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't want to force them to do that. Like in year 13, you're not actually forced to do anything. In mm-hmm. year 12, I think you're just forced to do English. Yeah, year eleven you have to do math and science, so yep. they all drop out by the time you're year thirteen. Mm-hmm. But you still have to do religious education in year thirteen, don't you? We didn't in year thirteen, but we did have to in year twelve. Okay, yeah. yeah so it's to me, it's just not on par with English, math, or science. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it takes out a subject opportunity for something else for another opportunity. Because like, if yeah. you wanted to do, um, fuck, just say uh, calculus, English, physics biology, mm-hmm. and accounting. That's yeah. your five subjects. Mm-hmm. But now you have to do religious education. Oh, fuck, I'll take out accounting. Mm-hmm. Now that takes out that career opportunity that you may have liked or yeah. you may not have liked. I think I think it's hard for me. I definitely see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. But I guess my experience was at Sacred Heart in year 12, you could elect to do a sixth subject. So I did that. Oh, okay. So we're where most people would have to drop something to be able to still take mm. that religious education element. Um, a group of just one class load, so there were only 30 of us that were actually selected from the people that wanted to do mm. it. 
um, I guess it depended on our grades and all of that yeah. kind of thing from the year before. If you can actually... Our ability to handle the yeah, extra handle subject, it. right? Yeah. Um, and the teacher's scheme of hierarchy of whether we can handle it or not. Um, <laughs> so I did a six subject. So I still got to do my five. Yeah, okay. And then we just did religious education twice a week instead of three or four times a week yeah. like the other... The rest of the year grouped in. more crammed. And, yeah, yeah, it was. You just did, um, I guess, bigger assignments rather mm. than smaller, smaller points. Chunks, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, cool. That was just... So it's like the freedom to do both. Yeah. Um, I think my biggest thing, though, is that um, the one thing I wish I had at high school was the ability to go to a really strong Catholic um, co-ed school, mm-hmm. which I don't think we really have a lot yeah, okay. of in Hamilton. Yeah. Um, I think it just changes the dynamics of things when you're constantly around girls all the time. See, I'm grateful that I went to, what's the opposite, unisex? Co-ed? And Co-ed, uni- yeah, it's like, and then... Uni- it is, is it unisex? Single sex. Oh, yeah, it's like unisex. a single sex school. <laughs> I'm grateful I went to a single sex school, just straight boys. Yeah. But as a female perspective... Was it a bit too much? Yeah, it was real catty. Yeah. <laughs> Toxic. Yeah. Hormones. And like, don't get me wrong, I definitely believe that everywhere you go, you're going to get the education that you get out of yeah, it. But yeah. I think it's that outside of when the school bell rings, what you get out of school. And yeah, yeah there were some points of high school where being in a full girl school was hard work. Like you really, you definitely... <laughs> Um, value your male friendships a little bit more, yeah, I think, yeah. when you're constantly surrounded by, yeah, the cattiness that sometimes can be girl relationships. I so, remember that one. Just yeah. So I think if if I had if I had my way, then yeah, I would want my children in the future to be able to go to a Catholic school. But I would also love for them to, to have the ability to go to a co-ed, co-ed school if something like that existed. Yeah. Yeah, fuck, that's interesting. Yeah, because I loved primary and intermediate. Like, yeah. I went to Marion for primary and intermediate. So, I had that co-ed, Catholic, primary yeah. and intermediate experience. And then, yeah. Yeah, my great. perspective is <laughs> so much better and, like, no distractions, none of that cattiness. Yeah. None of this fighting for partners. None mm-hmm. of this, um, like, wisp, Chinese whispers and classes. Yeah. You do PE. You're all, like, you're all males. Like, we fucking play yeah. the one game, like, Moonball, big Swiss ball, rugby mm-hmm. league thing. And people, like... Bumping off cans, so it's like going nuts. Like yeah. you wouldn't be able to do that with females as well. No, but no, I but feel, I'm saying from my perspective, yeah. like I'm grateful. Yeah, and 100%. like we're like a huge rowing and rugby kind of school. Hamilton mm-hmm. boys was like you don't have to worry about the netball and yeah, or whatnot. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I suppose hockey, but yeah, the hockey as well. But yeah, no, yeah. I'm grateful that I wouldn't do that. But as a female, yeah, I never thought about that. That's yeah, but then I guess I see the other side of it as well because like um. Liam, my partner, he went to St. John's, so yep. went to an all-boys school. And I look at the relationships that he's got with his friends from high school a, we, now, and yeah, it, it is such a it's brotherhood. A brotherhood. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right there. Yeah. So I think maybe it's not so much the, um, the co-ed nature maybe of the school, but maybe it's just girls at that age. My experience yeah, was that yeah. they were that little bit more catty, and maybe, you know, boys might just kind of have a little bit of a physical hit out and get get stuff out of their yeah. systems and girls kind of carry the grudge for yeah, a little bit yeah. longer. You guys hold on to a lot yeah. of shit. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good segue. Liam. Yeah. Met, when did you meet him? How did you meet him? And what value has he brought to your your life? Um. So I met him in, must have been late January or early February of 20, 
16, so our year 13. Oh, yeah, so at high school. You've known yeah. him since high school. Yeah, known him since high school. So, yeah, I basically met him at the first ever, like, Sacred Heart Mass of the year. Mm-hmm. So, like, the St. John's leaders come to Sacred Heart for Mass, and Liam in year 13 was head boy at St. John's. Oh, yeah. So him and... um. Yeah, two others came, his deputy head boys came down to our school and we all got kind of presented our leadership sort of badges while we were at that assembly and I knew the two deputies that were with him so I went over and said hey afterwards and kind of met him at the same time Um, and at the time he was living in Te and we'd catch the bus into school and they'd catch like a St. John's and Sacred Heart bus. So one of my friends used to bus with him. So he'd we catch kind the of bus every day. Yeah, he'd catch the bus every day into school oh, until he got his license, obviously, yeah. and could drive and still himself. Get driving every day, yeah, it's a long way. Yeah, it is a big, a big trip. So yeah, I guess I kind of met him at church mm-hmm. in that moment, um, and then yeah, spoke to him a few times and saw him at a couple of parties throughout the first kind of um, four or five months of year thirteen, and then. Yeah, we started dating in June and of that year. it's been seven years. And it's been, yeah, just uh, just under seven and a half years since then. Don't see a ring yet. <laughs> <laughs> Long time. <laughs> When's your next holiday book? <laughs> <laughs> We're actually going to Raro next year for his mum's 50th, so. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but. Two birds, one stone? Oh, yeah, but we just got back from Rarotonga and nothing oh. happened, so who knows? <laughs> Might as well for your European summer. Yeah, maybe. That'll come eventually, I'm sure, but. Yeah, so in seven years, what like you mentioned, it's a key key part of your life. Yeah, what value has um having someone around? I think provided? the biggest one of the biggest things for me was, I guess, at the start, I covered the value that I that I find in having other people around me and mm-hmm. how I lent on other people for spontaneity. Mm-hmm. And I think Liam definitely Nailed bought... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I was thinking about it as I started the <laughs> sentence. I was like, don't stuff it up, Christy. Um, I think Liam definitely brought an element of that into my life. He definitely, um, growing up, I guess, in Te Araha, he lived quite a different sort of lifestyle mm-hmm. where, you know... You can go off for a bike ride with your mates at night time as long as you're home by dark and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. So he'd had a lot more, I guess, of that freedom running through him when it came yeah. to situations. And so where I was very strict and planned and I wanted to know all of yeah. the details before we did stuff, he would just be like, right, I'm going to pick you up at this time. Let's go do something. And so I definitely learned yeah, to be a bit more spontaneous um, and to not take life so seriously all mm-hmm. of the time. Um, but I guess outside of that, he was probably the first time that I really, outside of a friendship or outside of friends and family, he is the person that taught me what it feels like to be loved mm-hmm. on a different kind of level. Um, and yeah, so I guess definitely a lot of lessons have come out of the last seven and a half years mm-hmm. from, yeah, spontaneous trips and the ability to let go and just be a little bit more free in myself, but also that value, I guess, yeah, as I say, of love, but also, yeah, I guess earlier I touched on to the fact that we didn't live in the same city for yeah. a long time. Um, and like, well, it was only, so we met obviously year 13 and had that journey through the first six months of like the honeymoon phase mm. of your your relationship, right? Where um, you just kind of are getting to know each other and we hadn't known each other for long before we started dating. So mm-hmm. everything was just a learning experience. And um, then we kind of started getting close to the end of year 13 and I went away for a month over summer and um, he was getting ready to go off to Auckland for, to university and I had already made the decision to stay in Hamilton 
um, and continue to live at home with my parents. So yeah, then the next kind of few years, I guess I had to learn to carry that spontaneity and that ability to let go into the next few years of my life um, and find time for the relationship outside of the busy personal mm. life that I was building for myself. Okay, so someone who's uh, very single, give me mm-hmm. some, you got seven years of growth from a young adult mm-hmm. to being an adult. I don't think you can be an old adult. Yeah. <laughs> Not at 24 anyway. Yeah. But there's a lot of growth there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of development. There's a lot of development with each other. Mm-hmm. I know communication is key in a yep. relationship, but what else, like, give me like three tips for a uh, good, healthy, loving relationship. Yeah, communication, as you say, is a big one. I think outside of that, it's... um, I found also one thing that I think we've been very blessed with is the ability to grow together, as you're Mm. saying. So... I think yeah, we, see, I feel like I might be a stubborn cunt. Now, <laughs> <laughs> you never know, though. Hey. I think we definitely learnt to just like get through situations together, mm-hmm. um, and we learnt we learnt about each other while we were already together. Mm. So we'd kind of already committed to being together and navigating through life as we're learning who we are as a person so you kind of that ability to sort of meet in the middle is pretty mm-hmm. fundamental to most things and I think the middle isn't necessarily always straight bang it's in the very 50 50 no it's not 50 50 and I think the sooner that you realize that yeah that ability to meet in the middle isn't 50 50 it's a factor and like it yeah. re- one week it could yeah. be seventy thirty. The week it could, could be and flip it, around. To it 60, could be 40. a different hour. Like you could come home from an event, and all of a sudden, you know, fifty fifty is actually ninety five five because yeah, one person is drained. emotionally drained yeah. from being somewhere. So, yeah, I think the sooner you can kind of learn to read each other and understand yeah. where they are on different things, the easier that kind of is. So, I guess you wanted three. Three things. Yeah, so communication like, is the yeah, founding. We're not talking outside about, of no. communication. I think, yeah, the ability to be, to allow yourself to meet in the middle, but not necessarily at 50 50 all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think one thing that we have been really lucky with as well is that because we had so much time apart from each other in those first kind of foundational years of your relationship. Mm-hmm. We also built very strong individual lives outside of our life and our relationship. And I think understanding that your partner is still going to need to have time with their friends on their own and doing their own thing um, is a big thing to get past. And like, I think especially early on, it's easy to want to do everything with With each other all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually okay to let them go off and do their own thing because at the end of the day, it just means that then the time that you spend together is so much more um, beneficial is the wrong word, but there's a lot more. more, Yeah, it's a lot more valuable, the time that you spend together. But, you know, I also think I wouldn't be the person I am if I didn't have my relationship with my, the friends that I have and a relationship with my family outside of, 
our collective relationship with Mm -hmm. my family, right? So, like, I still need to be able to go to to the mall with my mum or to the rally with my dad without um, knowing that Liam's sitting at home getting jealous that I'm doing either of those things without him, you know? So, I think we've been quite lucky that we've been able to have those individual lives Mm. but have a collective life as well because you don't want to be two different people in each of those situations. But it's so fundamental to be able to be an individual well-being part of a collective. I like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's only really two, but I would say that those are our biggest kind yeah, of ones. Nah, there's yeah, there's plenty. You've explained it quite a lot. It's also like just being able to, yeah, like you say, not meet in the middle. So being able mm-hmm. to lean on somebody, eh? Yeah. And know that they're going to be able to hold you up, mm-hmm. I suppose. So like you say, coming back from a conference, like, fuck, I'm drained. Mm-hmm. And it's like, don't worry. I'll, I've got your dinner sorted, you yeah. know, <laughs> and shit like that. Just small things. Yeah, 100%. Um, flipping into the next one then. Starting mm-hmm. hospitality. Yeah, that was a big. So this, this was, was you gave, gave up um, swimming, mm-hmm. and is that when you started? Yes, I gave up swimming. I gave up coaching, mm-hmm. um, and jumped over into hospitality. Which At eighteen years old, I would have been seventeen, I think, when I started. Oh, even before, yeah. yeah. So just before I turned eighteen, it's a quite um, a eye-opening job into it is adulthood. It is, and I think it took a lot of um, my family at the time by surprise too. So growing up, I had always said, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but I know that I don't want to have the same professions as what my parents do. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I cancelled out, yeah, um, being in the car industry and my mum's a chef by trade. So I kind of cancelled out hospitality in that sentence. Um, And then all of a sudden I said to my parents, I was like, oh. I'm going to apply for this job at Good Neighbour. And my mum was like, what the heck are you doing? (laughs) Like, I thought you didn't want to work hospitality ever. Um, But I guess after doing solo travel and that, well, solo, but with a group, I, um, yeah, was like, nah, I actually love people. Like, I I want to be able to work a job where kids are great, teaching kids how to swim, great skill to have. Dealing with kids, great skill to have. But I was like, I want to have some meaningful conversations with people and what better way to do it than like across a bar or, you know, the amount of people that you meet doing that kind of stuff. So yeah, went in for an interview and landed my first job at Good Neighbour and kind of never looked back really. So the interpersonal skills that you would have learned from 18 to whatever Mm -hmm. now, how has that changed? Like looking back, do you see yourself being like real shy and scared and then now quite confident? I think I'm definitely, I think I have always had confidence in um, certain areas of my life. Like Mm -hmm. I've definitely always been a pretty confident public speaker and like big groups of people don't phase me in that sense. Um, But I think I'm a lot more confident now in more intimate personal like interactions Mm -hmm. with people. So I was probably always a lot more introverted in immediate friend groups. Um, Whereas now I would probably say that my friend group and the Y night group that George is part of, I'd say they probably would see me more as an extrovert than an mm. introvert. Um, I still find a lot in life. I go back to that closed off mm. kind of person in, in the start of situations, new situations, but ho- all in all, I would say I'm probably a lot more extroverted now than what I was when I was 17 and first started at oh, that job. And I think my ability to, in a more, um, not necessarily always just personal, but also mm. in a more corporate setting at work and that my ability to network is probably a lot stronger than what it was before. Networking, that ability eh? to go up to a random yeah. and hold a conversation that isn't just, 
the weather today, huh? Oh, like, <laughs> fuck, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Or even like you start talking to someone and you realise they don't want to talk to you. It's just like, oh, here we go. <laughs> like, yeah. It's such a battle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That ability, I guess, as well, you you grow as a person in terms of the conversation mm-hmm. you can have, but the more people you talk to, the more you learn how to read that situation yeah. too. You walk into a conversation and you say, hi, how are you to someone? And then they kind of give you that answer where you're like, right, find yeah, the next yeah. sentence to yeah. get out of here. Like now's yeah. the time to leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, someone comes to buy a drink off you, you gauge them how fast do you need to fucking get this drink across that yeah. counter kind of thing. Yeah. And can I crack a joke and they'll find it funny yeah. or is it going to completely flop and they're going to walk Suck. away going, who is that crazy chick that just bought me a drink? I worked at um, the warehouse for quite a few years. Yeah. And looking back now, I was just like, fuck, I was a shy little boy, man. Mm-hmm. Like, wasn't very good, but I do kind of wish I did a bit of hospitality just for that, the interpersonal skills and stuff. Yeah. Because you would have learned a lot through that. But what else have you learned during the hospitality? Wow. I think... Other than gaining your friends, which you'll tap on in a sec. Yeah. But what else did you kind of get from that? I definitely learned, yeah, obviously all the interpersonal skills, but also I guess it continued to help me realise who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And supported that continual um, growth and knowledge of, yeah, my inner self and I mm-hmm. guess the way that my brain worked and the way that um, I functioned, whether that be, yeah, the to-do list that I mm-hmm. now write or I'd say a lot of my growth came in those years because I was moving. Not only did I start the year after high school where everything's a bit rocky as you start your university mm-hmm. kind of chapter of your life, um but you're also going through that phase where, as I say, at the end of high school, I I sort of evaluated where I was with friends and all of that kind of thing too. And yeah, did take that step to mm. go, right, these are value adding people and these are people that I want to I wanna be a part, they can be a part of my life, but I'm not going to invest as much time in those kind of relationships. So I was learning so much in that period and was hands down probably some of the busiest years of my life to date as well in terms of the amount that I was committing myself to. So I think think while I was learning all of these things about myself, I was also learning where my boundaries were Mm -hmm. and where my points of exhaustion were coming, were kicking into play. Okay, so on exhaustion there, you talk about all this time management, mm -hmm. like down to a T, checklist, to-do list, whatever – but then, as Georgia stated, you're very kind and caring and you mm-hmm. do a lot for other people. Yeah. Exhaustion. How did you not burn out or did you burn out? Oh, I think I would, I think I'd be a low key superhero if I said I never burnt yeah. out. But so how, how did um, you uh, kind of click that that's happening and then how did you refresh? I think it's really important to, to realize what, what you need outside of everything that you're doing. So, whether it be, um, whether it be you're you're super busy and all you need is to be able to spend five minutes with the dog mm-hmm. or um, you need to go to a bench at the lake and just watch the, the stillness of the water for a little bit and like reset in yourself. Um, I had to learn really quickly what my outlet was when I was feeling that way. So I think a lot of the time, if I'm being honest, I am the type of person where – I am go, go, go all the time and it's not until I stop for a brief period that I realise exactly 
how much weight I've been carrying from mm-hmm. what I've been doing. Um, so it's kind of you mentioned about juggling as well. So yeah. just so imagine you're juggling all these balls and then mm-hmm. one drops and you're like, oh fuck! Is that that's when, the is, moment that you realize? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So that's when I was realizing. I was like, man, I'm tired. Yeah. Or, so then, how did you? I suppose drop all the rest of the balls and like, what is your outlet? Mm-hmm. How how do you take? How do you refresh other than just sitting there? Like, what actually goes on? Because when you sit there for five minutes, you're wasting five minutes on time to do something. Yeah. Yeah. I think these moments of my, these years of my life Mm -hmm. were where I truly understood the value that I placed on exercise for Mm -hmm. my mental health and as an outlet. So while some people need to just sit and and be Mm -hmm. in themselves, I as a person, just like to keep busy. Mm. And so my... I'm the same. My, <laughs> it's, I think it's just like once you're... A, busy people will always keep themselves busy, yeah. right? Whereas people that don't want to be busy will always find time to sit down and relax and be... And don't get me wrong, I still love to sit on the yeah. couch and like plonk out with a bag of potato chips and some dip and yeah, watch a movie yeah. and stuff. Um, but yeah, I but, think but is definitely... That scheduled? Do you kind of have to schedule oh, that? I don't. As I get older, no, not yeah. as much. I think it's definitely more a, oh, it's Sunday. Like, yeah. just sit down and relax. And again, it, it probably just flows into the way that our life, our life is slowly building yeah. as, as a couple and as a household, I guess. So I think, yeah, I definitely, my outlet is exercise mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, and then I find when I am that little bit further, I guess, in the extra, like exhaustion kind of state or when I've got that little bit more going on, I do find myself gravitating to going to church on a Sunday mm. or spending that time in a place that allows me to reflect inwardly rather than being physical and reflecting inwardly mm. at the same time because so much of the exercise that I do is individual. So I do have that reflection time, mm-hmm. but when it does need to be that little bit slower, when I am feeling it that little bit more, um, yeah, I do generally go to church or, yeah, go for a walk with the dog. So what's your advice for somebody um, who... So grumpy, you. the dog. Hey? Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, what is it, small, small dog syndrome? Yeah, it's little what, dog syndrome. Uh, miniature poodle. Yeah. Very cute thing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, what, what is some advice for a young adult who is just, yeah, got juggling too many balls, Mm -hmm. um, doesn't quite understand what to do. What is an advice that you could provide someone like that? What doesn't need to be a young adult? It could be anybody. Yeah. I think. Find an outlet. Find a place to reset. Yeah, find an outlet. Um, but also like, I like to live by like a bit of a phrase where it says like, um, like loving yourself, loving yourself is one thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like loving yourself is a blessing, but understanding yourself is profound. So the ability to tap into to who you are and what you need as a person to fill your own cup while you're out there helping others fill theirs um, or juggling those mini balls while you're filling your cup, um, that ability to step back and self-reflect is yeah. also really important because you have to know what makes you tick mm-hmm. before you go out and help others yeah, for sure. with theirs. Um, while I was away on conference the last couple of days, another thing that really hit me was we had a, um, a motivational speaker come in for an mm-hmm. hour on one of the days. And she said, Who it's quite some, um, her name's Sasha. Okay. And she is one of the founders of Coffee Culture. 
Oh, her I've and her husband, yeah, found yeah. the coffee culture. Um, one up and five crossroads. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So that's one of their stores. But she also um, does a million like leadership courses mm. and has a few other companies in that as well. But yeah, Sasha Coburn, um, mm. look her up, amazing lady. Like very cool story. Was like her. She came from a hippie family and they lived in a big yellow school bus growing up. And huh. yeah, like amazing story. And definitely if. If she's ever doing an event that you have the opportunity to go to, I would say 100% go. But um, she said something very similar to this whole – it resonated with me because I found it quite similar to this Mm -hmm. whole, like, understand – like, loving yourself as a blessing, understanding yourself as profound. She kind of said – Life a lot of the time is like when you're on an airplane and they're going through the safety briefing and they always tell you to put your oxygen mask on before you help others. Mm -hmm. So while you're out in life juggling your hundreds of balls that you're juggling, you also have to remember that you have to put on your oxygen mask to be useful to other Mm -hmm. people. So it's that ability to, yeah, take that step back, self-reflect, understand what you need before you're out there trying to help other people. So even just going into a relationship, you're the, you always got to put yourself first. You're, mm-hmm. You are number one priority. 100%. Like for you, Liam is not number one priority. It's you. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Eh? Yeah. And like on a day to day, you 100% in your mind go, often you'll find yourself going, yeah, they're, they're my number one. Mm. My family's my number one. My dog's my number one. Like everything. But when you take that moment to really realize what you're saying to yourself. Yeah. Especially when you're You're only going to find true happiness in yourself. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, happiness is definitely a gift that's best like given and received by the same person. Mm-hmm. So like until you can find happiness in yourself, it's really hard to, yeah, find that happiness in the people around you as well. I like it. Yeah. So the other one that's come from this turning point is your Why Night Wednesday group. Yeah, what a group. Which uh, included Bryn. Yes. So it's been going around for a few years then. Yeah, so I guess most of us would have started at Good Neighbour in 2017 or 2018. Um, There's probably, I'd tell you how many were in the group, but I'd be bound to forget a number in there somewhere. But we just were, the. it was the workplace of all workplaces, if I'm Mm -hmm. being honest. Like, going to work was not like going to work. Like, Walking into Good Neighbour for a shift was like going home. It was like going to hang out with your friends, to have a good time. And a byproduct of that was serving customers. Yeah, and you get paid for it. Yeah, and you get paid. Like win, 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 right? Like I didn't feel like... That's good environment. Yeah. That's what you want to be in. A hundred percent. And it's like you can have good people make a shit job great and then you're like shit people can make a good job shit yes a hundred percent it's all about the people a hundred percent and like I went through I went through university these were all of my university years the years Mm -hmm. that I was at good neighbor until the last two two and a half years Mm -hmm. and um I think as I said earlier I never really lived that student lifestyle and Mm -hmm. a lot of that was because we were working hospitality hours but I also didn't feel like I needed it because I was having so much fun working with these people and working with my friends and earning money, which was ideal at the time, (laughs) um, that I didn't feel like I needed to go out on the weekend because I was quite happy to work a 21st with the five or six of them at work and have a party while someone else was having a party. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. You know, so, yeah, we um, 
definitely we're just like a big family and still are now we're just scattered all around mm. the world at the moment so yeah we kind of the just working together turned into yeah once a sort of like once a week on a Wednesday we'd all catch up after work and go to someone's house and we'd sort of rotate houses and yeah I think um like Georgia in particular was quite famous for um always having wine and cheese in her fridge and so you know on a Wednesday night we'd all go for a drink somewhere and we'd all bring a bottle of wine or a drink of some sort and just sit around and have a good time and Mm. I guess not only um, reflect on the work that we were doing together at work and you know have your moments where you you talk badly about things that you've experienced and debrief about the day but also build those relationships outside of the four walls of the workplace yeah. which have been so valuable and it so like culture yeah and I think that group were the reason that I stayed in hospitality for mm-hmm. as long as what I did um and when we all started to kind of move on to the next chapters of our lives, I think I was the last one um, other than Anna who was going overseas Mm -hmm. and then coming back to hospitality on and off. Um, I think I was the last one to be in hospitality for the group um, full time. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I guess the only reason I left was because everyone else had gone and it wasn't the same anymore. So yeah, they really, they really were the reason and the reason I stayed and the reason that that kind of chapter of my life was as fun and as memorable as what it has been. And it kind of has, they were the reason that I had the time and had the opportunity to build all of the learnings that I did from hospitality. So yeah, so cool. Such a cool That's group of people. That's why your sleep is fucked. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> that is where you learn to sleep like four to six hours a night and still function. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, we were just talking about that before we started. How yeah. terrible your sleep is. Yeah, so bad, but... It's bad for recovery, especially if you want to be doing a Iron Mary. A hundred percent. And I guess I... I guess my sleep has always been so awful because when you're swimming, you're early up mornings. at early mornings. And then when you're working hospo, you're up late, late nights. Night. So I feel like I never got out of that biological clock of the early morning get up, but I just adjusted to the late That's night kind terrible, of. <laughs> so the sleep's just got shorter and shorter and I'm definitely getting better. But yeah, it's still a very much a work <laughs> in progress. <laughs> so in that, Bryn, so as we mentioned at the start, yeah. Uh, Bryn passed away three years ago today, mm-hmm. 2020. Yeah. Um, how did you deal with grief for that? And um, I suppose, how did the group deal with it? We all dealt with it very differently. Because as you know, everybody's individual. Eh? Yeah, 100%. Mm. And I think, I think for a lot of us, it was our first, not for all of us, but definitely for a lot of us, it was our first... Um, kind of loss yeah instance of like very close grief like yeah because it's different when it's a f- old family member 100%. especially when they're like you know they're dying or something they're yeah. in hospital but then when someone's sick and then eventually pass away yeah. or when you can look at someone and go oh they had 65 years of an amazing life mm. right um versus yeah versus Bryn and I think just that the harshness of the reality of um, his death as well was something that was at the time so hard to comprehend but yeah I definitely remember it like it was yesterday um so yeah three years ago today obviously but um in terms of the day that I found out it was actually three years ago tomorrow mm-hmm. so I remember it 
yeah, so clearly at the time my family and I were living in a rental house um, while we were waiting for my parents' house to be built. And um, I remember getting this phone call from Anna and I'm staring at my phone going like, I'm great friends with Anna, don't get mm. me wrong, but we'd never called each other before. And I was <laughs> like, what, like something's going on. And I guess I never thought when I saw that call that it was going to be a negative what's going on. Yeah, so fill in the gap there, Anna yeah. was Bryn's partner at the time. Yes, and yep. it was Bryn's partner at the time. And yeah, an active member of our wine night group. Mm. Um, she didn't work at Good Neighbour with us, but because of Bryn was in that mm. wine night group while she worked for Smith McKenzie, which yeah, is still yeah. part of the Good George family at the time. Um, so yeah, she rang me and I remember answering the phone and um, I was like, hey, like, what's up? All expecting nothing. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, it was almost like then for the next like 30 seconds while I was talking to her on the phone, I remember everything that was said, but it was like I remember everything but remember nothing mm. all at the same time. And all I remember is just like this this feeling in my chest of like almost like failure, right? Like you go, how is a friend yeah, – okay. How as a friend have I sat through a relationship with this person, a friendship with this person and Mm -hmm. not seen anything and now I'm having this conversation with his girlfriend who is telling me probably the hardest thing she's ever going to have to tell me in her life Mm. and I remember hanging up from that phone call which Basically was Anna telling me that um, Bryn had committed suicide and that he'd now died mm-hmm. and her asking me to help her tell the rest of the wine night group mm. um, and help her organize a way for us to get together immediately so that we could share this news. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hung up from that conversation and I remember walking out into the kitchen like completely white faced and then my mum turned around and was like to me, what's wrong? And in that moment, as soon as she said, what's wrong, I broke down. And I probably cried for two minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I just, it was like my emotions just cut off. Like mm-hmm. from that point on, I was stone-faced. I had cried. I had felt, it was like I'd felt all seven stages of grief all at once. And Shit. then... um. I was like, right, I have to go get ready. So that night, I obviously then had the job of trying to call our friend group together. But at the same time, I was going to body fit. Mm -hmm. And that night was um, one of the information sessions for an eight-week challenge. Mm -hmm. And so um, Georgia and I started body fit together after doing F45. And so I was like, holy crap, I have to go to this info session and I'm about to walk into this info session and see Georgia who doesn't know yet what I know Yeah. Okay. Um, and how the heck am I going to sit through without alluding to the fact that I've just heard probably the most heartbreaking thing I've heard in my life to this point um, stone cold faced and then ask her if we can catch up at her house afterwards with the rest of the wine night group for something that I can't explain to her at the moment. So it was the weirdest kind of yeah, that is kind of the weird weirdest few moment. hours. Um, so did you tell her afterwards? I actually i I had to tell her mm-hmm. straight after, 
Um, so you didn't. So you told her after the. I told her after the info session. Fuck. Um, I was like, "You have to come with me. I have to tell you something, and mm. I have to tell you why we're coming to your house." Um, and I was like, "And the one reason I need to tell you now is because I need you to know the emotions that are about to run through your house, mm-hmm. and like I need you to be prepared because." And now I would say she is probably one of the most like um, staunch leaders in our group as well, right? Mm. So I was like, if you know, if I know, and Anna's sitting there trying to tell the rest of us, then at least two of us have the ability to spread ourselves across Mm. the room and be there for everyone else. So yeah, I remember sitting in the car outside Body Fit in the car park trying to tell Georgia why we were going to her house Mm. in the next 30 minutes to meet the rest of the group. And then the rest of the night, just is a bit of a blur really um yeah we all kind of caught up at at George's house as a group and um I think being in a lounge just like we are now sitting around on couches you know was the moment that you realized exactly sort of how how the group could be so together in that yeah. moment, but so different in their approaches to yeah. the next kind of few days and few hours, right? So, so if we just knuckle down on you personally, mm-hmm. um, what were the impacts that fl- flowed on from that? I didn't, gr- I didn't grieve, mm-hmm. and I didn't deal with it very well. So I internalized. So you, you, you cut off your emotions as well. Yeah. Was I just internalized everything. And just shut and just shut down. I just carried on like normal. So I remember vividly like I had I'd spent those couple of minutes crying to my parents and then yeah, I just shut off and from that point on, um I just I went back to work. I went back to uni. Um I worked extra shifts so that my friends could grieve. Um and I just carried on with life. Like, so what about your relationship with Liam then as well? Like, looking back now, mm. does he is he able to go, this was a period that you kind of shut off emotionally from himself? I think, I think while I say I shut off, like, emotionally, I shut off my emotions to the situation. Okay, yeah, yeah, But yeah. I didn't necessarily shut off emotions to those around me. So, like, I probably was more empathetic throughout that period to other people than what I probably am on Mm -hmm. a daily basis um like I it was almost like I became hypersensitive to everyone else's emotions and kind of like internally processed my own and just by just ignoring them Mm -hmm. so like not really processing them at all um so did you become overly um empathetic because you're worried that someone else may be in a similar situation as Bryn and then one day you'll lose them without you knowing? Yes, I think yes and no. So, like, I think I definitely wanted to make sure that everyone knew that they were loved and everyone knew that everyone was there for them and that people were there for them. But at the same time, I also saw Bryn's death and the way he died as an opportunity for people to to be very open and blunt about the situation. Like I didn't feel in myself the need to, to beat around the bush with how he died. Like I definitely respected the privacy of um, everyone else's feelings and of his family's at the time. But like, I wasn't afraid to say 
my friend Bryn committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Like he he unfortunately got to the point in his life where he couldn't handle being on this earth anymore. And I guess from my perspective, yes, I wanted everyone else to know that, wow, that's a really hard thing to say. I didn't want other people to get to that point, but I also didn't want us to ignore the fact that that is what happened at the same time. Um, Because I think the more we ignore the elephant, which was the way in which he passed, Mm. the further we get down this road of like stigmas and all of that kind of stuff. So I guess my way of dealing with it was being very, blunt and open with what had happened and I think that kind of started sort of everything that I now am doing with sweat for the head and um all but also meant that that's why I put my feelings on the back burner because I was out there trying to go well at the time like and still like I'm I'm not I'm not in that situation and I'm never going to pretend to be in that situation for the purpose of spreading awareness for things but I was more focused on making sure that, yeah, as you say, the people around me weren't feeling that way mm-hmm. rather than dealing with my grief that I knew I could deal with later. Yeah. So is that yeah. as well where that kind of kind and caringness that George mentioned about, let's say, making those reindeers and stuff, is that where that comes mm-hmm. from for you? Or is that always there? Like, in a sense, like, do you do that now to show your love for people, to know, to make sure that everybody knows that they are loved and wanted? And, mm-hmm. and she mentioned about a lot of people come to you to talk to. Yeah. Is that the whole aftermath of that as well? I think I've always had that side mm-hmm. to me and I've definitely always been a, like a gift giver, mm-hmm. I guess, in that sense. Um, but yeah, it's probably been emphasised, I guess, throughout that period of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like, I guess I've always sort of looked at ways to serve other people throughout life and um, I guess as I've gotten older and various life experiences have kind of come through life you just kind of your way of serving people changes Mm. and I think now I probably am less inclined to make reindeers at Christmas time and more inclined to go to coffee Mm-hmm. and like just your or you approach different situations in different ways depending on who you're with like I'm probably more inclined to give my workplace um, friends gifts physical mm-hmm. gifts whereas I think when it comes to my immediate friends post brand I'm probably more inclined to give them meaningful interaction mm-hmm. and those like pure moments of um, presence like physical presence rather than a gift. Yeah. So how did you eventually grieve? It took me a long time. Um and I think I think I slowly grieved um an exercise. Mm-hmm. Um but there was one I think I had kind of gotten past it in myself, mm-hmm. um, and grieved in myself, yeah, through exercise and just through reflection and um a little bit of faith, if I'm being honest. And uh, okay, hold on. Through <laughs> exercise. Yeah. So as well, like, cliche me running, but running mm-hmm. away from my problems. Mm-hmm. Similar thing, exercise. You, you're, it's a distraction. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. you're, you're a busy person. It's your outlet to to do something but nothing at the same time. So were you not still just running from the grief? Because it's yes. not like you're fucking doing fitness and going, hmm, I could have done this, could have done that. Like, yep. that's not really 
Yeah, I think processing. Yeah, I think a hundred percent. It's not a hundred percent processing, but um, as I say, exercise for me a lot of the time is my happy place. Mm. So, like for me, I was clearing my head in that sense, and yep, I was yep. allowing myself yep. to to reflect, but not so much reflect on what what I could have done because that's where. That's where, for me, I think my religion a little bit comes into things where I go that it was God's plan. Mm. Like um, I was blessed to have him as a as a friend, but mm. he was blessed to come into my life for a short a short time, not a long time, mm-hmm. a good time, not a long time, right? So I think for me, it was more reflection of what is what has this situation taught me? Mm-hmm. What am I going to take into the next chapter of my life? what are the learnings from this rather than um, coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, I so think exercise allow me that time to reflect clear, on that and but like, clear like up there. you talk about juggling too many balls and mm-hmm. yeah, your outlet, like it's an opportunity to, to clear that mind and then it's what happens after the yep. workout, isn't it? It's when your mind is clear and empty that you're able to process stuff. It's not necessarily during the exercise, yep. but you're clearing that mind space, mm-hmm. like cleaning that desk of – all the bits and pieces on it, just moving it aside. Then when you're driving home, you can contemplate stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in terms of, so yeah, I I guess that was how I grieved internally mm-hmm. and how I process things internally. I think um, throughout the rest of my life, I will always hold a little bit of grief. Like it's still a horrific thing to experience. I remember Anna specifically saying it's, um, you don't move on from it. You learn mm-hmm. to... Move with it. Move with it. Yeah, yeah. like accept it and yeah. carry it with you. Car- carry. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I forget exactly how she says yeah, that. Yeah, I, I got I, rid of my yeah. notes too, the old ones. But yeah, it's not yeah. necessarily like moving on, it's carry on. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're always going to have that in the back of your mind. You're always going to remember. It's not about forgetting. Yeah. But it's about moving with it. Yeah. And, and I think it. I think it's important too, like no one... No one wants to look at someone that's passed away and contemplate a time where they're ever going to forget that person. Mm. Um, but you also have to remember the good times as well as oh, yeah. as well as the bad, right? So, yeah, I think I used exercise and just self reflection and um, faith in that as a way to get past it personally, and then more so in a group setting. I probably didn't grieve publicly with my friends until probably about a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the Wine Night group until, yeah, that time. Um, my family and obviously Liam had seen me grieve throughout that period. But, um, yeah, we all went on a bit of a trip to Fongmata and did, like, yeah, a pub crawl and, you know, like the good old days. Yeah. But we weren't all working together anymore. So it was a way to get away and still be together. Yeah, and up. Yeah, catch up and have a good time and – yeah, so we yeah did this pub crawl through Fongmatar and stayed at my parents' batch and that kind of thing. And um, on the way home, I guess, um, some of the group were like, oh, let's go skinny dipping. And so, you know, they all went off. And I don't know, it was like I just saw red in that moment. And all I saw was pitch black darkness on the beach. My friends were intoxicated um, and all I saw was danger, and it was like in that moment, all of the grief from Bryn's death rushed back through me, mm-hmm. and I got so upset. Like I was, 
I was angry. I was sad. I was frustrated. I felt all of the emotions all at once. And all of my friends just had no idea like what was happening. But in that moment, I was so scared for their safety and so scared to lose another one of our friends Mm. that all I did was like chase them into the water and try and get them to come back. Like I felt like the fun police. Like I was running around being like, don't go skinny dipping. Don't have a fun time. Like don't do that because I don't want you to get hurt. And I don't want to lose another person. And I remember walking home from the beach with everyone that night and we walked in like two groups because there were the people that were chasing me because I was crying and then the people that were, you know, slowly getting themselves out of the water, mm-hmm. realizing what was happening. And I remember sitting in the room, um, we got back to the house and um, all of the girls kind of came into the room and were like, like, what's happening? And I was like, I honestly, hand on heart, for the first time, I feel like I'm grieving Brent's loss. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's taken me until now when I am starting to see you guys having fun again and starting to realize that you are happy and that you are finding this new lease on life and this ability to let go and potentially start to move with mm-hmm. the grief and the loss that I'm going, crap, now I've got to catch up. Now I've got to let go of all of these feelings and now I can be vulnerable because I can see strength in Mm. the people around me. And it was confronting and it was a hard weekend (laughs) and far out. I felt like a party pooper. And then, yeah, then you go through all the emotions of why couldn't I have just grieved 12 months ago and why did I have to carry it with me this long and why did yeah. I, why am I bringing it back up now for everyone? And you start to think, God's plan. This is the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, right? Yeah. That of grief 101. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, as you say, as we've talked about, everyone handles it completely differently and mm. I just – unfortunately and fortunately at the same time handled it completely differently to the rest of the rest of our friend group and all each of us individually all handled it totally differently it's just yeah I don't remember grieving properly in front of them publicly until yeah that moment in Fong and god it could have it could have gone better I'm sure (laughs) (laughs) so then this all flows into sweat for the head yeah yeah so like where did this idea kind of come from? Mm-hmm. Oh, what is it? And like, yeah, yeah I suppose what's the idea? Yeah, like, what why, did, why, why, why did you do it? Yeah, so I guess, I guess my relationship. Bryn, like, yeah, yeah, so my relationship with Bryn, our friendship was always very active. Mm-hmm. So I definitely remember some of my fondest memories of Bryn are like us going up the hucks or um, going to the gym or going for a walk to the dog park with the dogs, <laughs> just, you know. Just like, going up the hucks, yeah. Like I know like, <laughs> yeah, it's cool, but like, fuck me, it's hard, eh? There Once was, again, clearing yeah, the head. You yeah. go clear the head, they drive home. Yeah. You're fucking on. Yeah, 100%. And like – um. Yeah, there must have been one year. It, it could have even been, I don't remember exactly, but it might have even been the start of 2020 before mm. the lockdown started happening um, or else it might have been the year before. But we started off a year, I remember, and we went almost every second day up the hucks. And like each time we roped in different friends to come with yeah. us. But yeah, and have, yeah, so we were always doing something active. And so when I had finally kind of allowed myself to grieve, mm. But I'd already had this year of self-reflection of what am I going to do with with this experience? What are my learnings? What am I going to do? And 
I guess um, I took all of that and I was like, right, I want to do something. I want to fundraise for um, an organization that's out there supporting people that get mm-hmm. to this point. And I was like, what I've learned from this situation is that it's not always easy for people to ask for help. And I have never experienced that feeling as deeply as what people that are in this situation have felt. But you always throughout your life like have days where you struggle and you go, oh, I should message this person and hang out with them. It's hard, like even just on a mini scale, right? So um, I was like, right, what am I going to do? I want to fundraise for an organization that's out there actively helping people that need help. And, but when I do it, I want to make sure that I'm fundraising yeah, I'm fundraising for an organization that's helping people because it's probably easier for people. My assumption was it's probably easier for people to reach out to an organization than what it is for them to reach out to their loved ones mm-hmm. because then my assumption is that you'd feel like less of a burden mm-hmm. because you don't know the person that you're talking to. And so I... Oh, it's, that just taps onto a few of the therapy chat that I've had mm-hmm. on here recently is you feel more, uh, you feel in an environment where you can easily open up to mm-hmm. a random person because they've got no influence in your life. So yep. a similar situation, yeah. Yeah. So then I decided that I was going to do a fundraiser for Lifeline. Mm-hmm. And so once I decided that, I was like, right, how am I going to do it? And so my my thought process was then, my catalyst for this was Bryn. My relationship with Bryn was active. So what physical challenge can I do that then people are going to want to support and get behind <laughs> to raise money for this organization? So I had seen a few people do similar things. I mean, people are out there doing so many active challenges yeah, these days, sure. right? Like people have, run the loop in New Zealand. Um, or Matt Wallbank, one of my guests, he, he mm-hmm. did a bit of fundraising. Yeah. Because he did the running as well and he, he said um, – Stupid people keep on going when people clap for them. Kind yeah. Of thing. <laughs> yeah. Same thing for you. Eh? Yeah, You're 100%. Like doing something stupid. <laughs> but yeah, people clapping, stupid people continue doing, or whatever, when yeah, people clap. Yeah. Fuck, it's so relatable to you. Yeah. And I had that moment at the end of my first ever Sweat for the Head event when I was so like, stupid. it's done. See you next year. Like, round oh, two, here we come. Fuck. So yeah, so basically, I had seen. Um, it must have been Dwayne Sweeney, I think, mm-hmm. did like 30 yes. sessions at BFT. I mean, at uh, F45 at Mines, to raise yeah. money for um, the Water Boy. Yep, yep. And I looked at his fundraiser and I was like, that's cool. Yeah. I could do that. And then I was like, I could do that, but I could do all of the sessions, not yeah. just 30. Like, let's not stop at 30. Let's do the whole week. And so I sat down with um, Liam, who thought I was absolutely crazy. And I was like, I'm going to do all of the sessions at Body Fat and I'm going <laughs> to raise money for Lifeline. He was like, oh, yeah. And so then I told my parents and both of them were like, um, okay. And like I'd been around fundraising so, before. No one said no? No one said no. That's key, yeah. Yeah, That's that key. was, yeah. I think I, in my heart of hearts, I still probably would have done it anyway. Even if someone was like, you're so stupid. Why are you yeah. doing that? I would have been like, oh. I don't care. No, like, but I'm just meaning in terms of support of I was uh, so lucky to yeah. have, yeah, support around me. And, yeah, I was also lucky that I'd been around fundraising before mm-hmm. and, like, had watched um, my dad and his friends done like do similar fundraisers in the past. Um, and so I knew I was going to get support in that area. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I said it, I knew that I was going to be backed by my, my family and mm-hmm. by Liam. 
Um, and so, yeah, then I took my idea to um, Ryan and Charles, Ryan Fleetwood and Charles, mm. and um, I was like, look, you might think I'm so crazy. They, uh, the they owned BFT at the time, yep. CBD at the time. So I sent them an email and I was like, look, this is what I want to do. I don't know if you can do it based on the fact that you're like a franchise. I don't know if you can promote like promote this event. I don't need you to promote it. I just need you to say whether it's okay for me to come in Do for it, that yeah. many sessions. Um, and they were so on board, which having their support as well was fundamental, right? Because yeah. they probably would have been the only people that could say no, that would have really put a grinding <laughs> halt yeah. to what we were doing. So, and then um, they were so supportive too. So fleet actually was the one who helped me come up with the name Sweat for the Head. Mm-hmm. We were bouncing ideas backwards and forwards and he was like, what about Sweat for the Head? And I was like, that's perfect. So basically the concept of Sweat for the Head was initially the first ever fundraiser was I was going to do all 43 sessions from Monday through Saturday at BFT Hamilton CBD to raise $10,000 for Lifeline was but my also goal. also notice there it's um, six days. It's not yeah, a whole week. it's not a whole week. No, it's six days. It's actually five and a half days, really, if you're being super technical stuff. about it, because it's like eight sessions Monday through Thursday, seven on a Sunday, and then three or four on Saturday morning, and you're yeah. done by lunchtime. Sorry, is that eight, 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 seven, seven on the Friday? Yeah, not Sunday, and yeah. then four, four on Saturday. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the idea was born. Mm-hmm. The challenge was set. Yeah. And then we ended up in lockdown. So, yeah, so everything was set for a September 2021 Sweat for the Head event. So I wanted to run it over the week that meant that Bryn's anniversary would fall in the week that I was doing it. Um, It was also Mental Health Awareness Week that week. So everything was perfect. It was lining up perfectly and then COVID hit. Um, the like so second round second of wave. COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and especially all of those periods where like Auckland and Hamilton were kind of in those lockdowns yes. and the rest of the country was living life. And yeah, so we actually postponed three times in the first year. And I ended up doing the first ever sweat for the head in December 2021, which yeah. then meant that not only did I go into it with very minimal training because we couldn't build yeah. up to it in the gym, but it was also hot. Like we were like peak summer. <laughs> it was like thirty plus degrees in the gym every day, and it was nothing that I expected. And if it you've to ever be in been September. in a gym in summer, we're like group fitness. Yeah, it's, it's something else. Like it's nasty, yeah. yeah, yeah. So and yeah, it was such a blast. Like I remember, it was hard. It was fun. It was everything that I envisioned it to be, and more. Like mm-hmm. the community involvement behind. Sweat for the head was amazing. And yeah, we yeah, we blew it out of the park. Like I was so surprised at how many people were touched by the just the message mm-hmm. behind Sweat for the Head and the purpose and how many people didn't believe that organizations like Lifeline are not government funded. Like So what was the message behind Sweat for the Head? So basically my idea for Sweat for the Head was that I wanted to take I wanted to build a community mm-hmm. that got together to exercise in the hope of spreading awareness and raising funds for Lifeline New Zealand so that they could go out and help people that needed it the most and continue to support the, the most vulnerable in our society. So I had always wanted Sweat for the Head to be like almost like a movement. Mm-hmm. I wanted to form 
yeah, the community was so important to me, which was why it needed a name. It mm. needed to be, rather than just Christie's fundraising for Lifeline, it yeah, needed to yeah, be yeah, 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 the yeah. community has come together. They've done some exercise. They're sweating it out. Mm-hmm. They're also at the same time helping themselves because exercise is so important oh, to so many people's mental yeah. health, right? So I was I'm like, sure not, it's actually the number one, like, yeah. Cure, preventative, whatever. The best thing for mental health anyway Yeah, is physical exercise. Yeah. So I was like, what better way mm-hmm. to raise money for this kind of thing than to do this? So I guess that was kind of my my purpose. Yeah, and your vision. I was, so did this vision happen before the event or after the event? Like, yeah, you come up with a name, you come up with a challenge. Afterwards, you go, oh, I'm going to do this next year. You're talking about like a movement or like a, a group yeah. of people coming together. Like, did you did all this come at once, or was mm-hmm. it a flow on through all the planning? The it was definitely a flow on. So I definitely started off with so just snowball. I'm going to do a fundraiser. Yep. Like it started with the word fundraiser, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything was set to, to do this fundraiser, and it was very much like, "Hi, I'm Christy. I'm doing this. Like I'm raising money. Mm-hmm. We're doing this." And then once Sweat for the Head kind of started, and the week sort of more of the planning started we moved into this idea of um I then was working with Ryan and Charles and we got to this point where they blocked out places in each of the class for people to pay to come and train with me for a session so in that moment and in that period where we started to fill up those spaces for people to come that's when I started having this realization that actually what you're doing isn't a fundraiser anymore Christy what you're doing is you're bringing people together. Mm-hmm. So that was where this idea of Sweat for the Head becoming a community started kind of to kick in. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the first year kind of came and went and um, I stupidly said in the at the end of the last session when we're having a bit of a debrief, like, oh, same time next year. <laughs> <laughs> and I say it's stupid, but let's be honest, every part of me wanted to do yeah. it again. So, Did you hit September then or did you go December again? Nah, so we did it in September the second time. Yeah. So yeah, the first year was a a really good a really good one. I mean, yeah, our goal was to raise ten thousand dollars and we raised sixteen and a half. Fuck. Yeah, across the That's year. Awesome, so man. then I was like, right, let's get straight into it in the new year. So mm. I remember having a break and having a bit of a Christmas and New Year with friends and stuff and then I came into the new year and the first thing I did was set up my fundraising page first with the head twenty twenty two. Yeah, so what does that look like? Because I see you wearing a sweatshirt. You've just gifted me yep. a singlet. Uh-huh. It's got a logo. You've got an Instagram. I've seen you've done a few uh, other things, like there's a golf tournament coming up. There is, yeah. 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 So So signing up for a fundraising like what did you say you did in the you set up an account or Yeah, we set up a page. So page. Lifeline, yep. um Lifeline do all of their fundraising pages through grassroots. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a give a little page, but the great thing about the grassroots pages that you set up through their website, through the Lifeline website, is that the um, amount that you've phrased just sits there as a front and then – but Lifeline are accessing that money the whole time. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of shows an accumulative total, but by using it every single day that someone donates so and I don't know how give a little pages work it could be exactly the same but so basically I set up a page through them and that's kind of our Mm go-to and then in the first year yeah I developed a a Facebook and an Instagram page um and kind of just posted about my experience throughout like many videos of me talking about Mm -hmm. how the sessions had gone throughout the day and all of that sort of thing I think 2022 was the year that um 
I kind of gave myself a bit of a reality check and said, right, if you're going to keep doing this year on year, now's the time that you need to start investing some time and energy into into growing this mm. into that community aspect rather than just a one-off fundraiser. Mm. Um, so yeah, in 2022, we developed, I developed the merch. Um, so I'm quite fortunate in that my dad's friend, um, Mark, owns Kukri. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I emailed him and was like, hey, I'm... I'm doing Sweat for the Head again. I want to create some merch. Like, here's the logo that I've got at the moment, which was literally something that I'd just drawn up on on Canva the year before. And kind of, it was like literally... I've been looking at it the whole time. It's pretty pretty good. No, okay. This is not what I had. So I had just the words Sweat for the Head and like cursive little writing and literally the outline of a face with a brain in the inside of it. And that was my logo. And for the first year, I was like, this is cool. This is what this is what I'm going for. Yeah. Um, but I remember emailing Mark and I was like, look, I want to make merch. Um, to start off with, I want to make T-shirts um, black and white. Yeah. And just cotton, AS color, give me a price. Then I can work out how much to sell them for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember he emailed me back and he goes – Love it. Um, I've had my designer look at your logo and here's a new logo. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I was like, oh my God, how cool. So all <laughs> yeah, of a sudden... At least it wasn't like, I what went, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> all of a sudden I went from this really crappy like five-minute job on yeah. Canva to this yeah. like actual properly designed, um, yeah, cool logo that you now see on the merch yeah. today. So... I'm so grateful for that, even just in that moment, because it felt like there was just this level of professionalism yep. that came into into this, and I was like, I'm proud now to sell merchandise that looks yeah. like this. So, because there's another saying, I think it was from Matthew McConaughey, but don't half-ass it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and you're going into it with like yeah, full confidence in what you got. Yeah, a hundred percent. So yeah, so 2022 was kind of the birth of Sweat for the Head that it is today, mm-hmm. and so I did a quiz night that year, um, and when I say I like. I, in the background, managed it, but my community pulled together to help me create this event. And so we ran a quiz night at Marist, and that was super successful. Um, It was a quiz night with quickfire raffles, and I think the night raised just under $5,000 in itself. Fuck, that's Um, good, man. So in that moment, I was like, in one night, we've raised a third of what we raised the whole of last year. So we're on to something here. So then I created the merchandise um, with Mark's help and his team's help, and... Um, yeah, I think for me, 2022 was about finding ways to take Sweat for the Head outside of the gym, mm-hmm. um, and involve people that aren't physically able to come into a class. Yeah, so it was about targeting people through a quiz night that would rather just come to a quiz night because they physically can't come to a class mm-hmm. or that don't want to exercise because some people don't and that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, so the quiz night allowed for that and then the merchandise allowed for that even further. Everyone wears t-shirts, everyone wears hoodies. Mm. So here's an opportunity to help us spread and be part of this community without having to come to the gym. Um, so yeah, we sold the merchandise and all of the profits went directly to the page as well, which was awesome. And now the community's visible out there as well. Um, friends, family, people from the gym, um, prize winners from the quiz night, they've all got backpacks hoodies t-shirts active singlets like the one you've got now um yeah gonna have to wear it on my run yeah (laughs) yeah um, take it to the bay with me yeah so cool and it's just cool to be able to it's cool now like i i bump into 
um, friends in the street and someone's wearing a t-shirt, you know, and it's, it's cool because it allows, yeah, the message to get out there almost by word of mouth, but really it's by like word of eyes and it allows people to kind of create that conversation outside of just our social media platforms mm-hmm. and the message that we're actively spreading ourselves. So do you still have able to sell the merchandise? I haven't run any this year, but it is something that I can do whenever. So um, I will definitely put merchandise out there again More, yep, this yep. year. Um I am just looking into, again, a bit more of an evolution of what mm. it could look like, whether it be a slightly different garment yeah. garment, or, yeah. So on that as well, like you're getting out other than just the gym and stuff, mm-hmm. but there's one thing in my head is like you don't want to all of a sudden be doing something every single weekend, you know, yeah. like it just becomes too much. Um, so have you got like a set goal for each year that you go, I'm going to do, say, four events this mm-hmm. year, one's going to be the gym, one's going to be golf, one's going to be quiz, one's going to be something else. Like, is that what mm-hmm. you're doing or is it just yep. you're rattling off things as you go? Yeah, so the first year it was definitely just the fundraiser. The second yep. year I did the quiz night and the fundraiser mm-hmm. um, and the fundraiser was exactly the same, still the 43 sessions at BFT. And then once I got to the end of last year, um, I was like, right, I want to take it outside of the gym completely. So then obviously signed up to the Iron Moldy Half and – now that's our our big challenge for what do you the mean, year. Obviously, for someone who's not in like hadn't been following any of this, yeah, a lot of the listeners. What do you mean, obviously? What are you doing? So, I guess this year the fundraiser mm-hmm. part of it, or the active part of the fundraiser, is um, myself and Georgia mm-hmm. um, are doing the half at the Iron Moldy in Napier in November. Um, so virtually like a half Iron Man. Um, it is. It uh, is a half Iron Man, but I don't know if so you can what, call it Iron Man if it's not like part of okay. So the it's like things. So Iron yeah. Man half yeah, Iron yeah. Man distance. It's a half time so Iron Man distance. It's a one point six swim. So it's a two k ocean swim. Oh, yeah, in the ocean. A ninety k yeah. road bike, yeah. and then a twenty one point one k run. A half marathon. Yeah. yeah. So very different than anything mm-hmm. I've ever done before. So in terms of the body fit, you're able to obviously be a part of the community, mm-hmm. people come and sh- see and stuff. Mm-hmm. How are you able to, like, this half Ironman distance mm-hmm. event, how are you able to campaign that to the community? It's been very different. And I mm-hmm. think the reason why I've been able to confidently take this step this year is because we've already got a bit of a community behind us. Mm-hmm. So the um, body fit scene was good to cap capture that community Mm. to begin with and now they're kind of coming on with us on this journey as part of the people that follow on our pages already so one thing I found this year with um, the the style of event that we're doing is that we've been able to take people on the journey with us earlier Um, like when you go out for a training session on the bike you can take a video of that you can take people along for that ride versus like the build up to a like a group gym session is kind of boring because some be people do just live in their phones. Eh? Yeah. So being able to follow a journey, yeah, it, it makes them more invested in the journey. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, in the journey, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, I think um, they've been seeing you grind day in day out. Yeah. 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 And yeah, look, I I wish I had more time to actively portray our journey mm-hmm. more on social media but yeah it has kind of been a snippet or two here or there throughout the journey to date right yeah, well, you got it's intense. Life. you've you got, got life, life. Yeah. you've still got work full-time mm. you're training it feels like you're training full-time um 
And then you've still got to see your friends and family and have meaningful relationships yeah. with people outside of that, right? So it's just juggling in time, yeah, time slotting. It's that continual time chunking. Yeah, that continual juggle that we constantly play throughout our lives. So, um, yeah. So to answer your question that we talked about earlier, I guess yeah. Year one was just a fundraiser. Year two was the two events. And then mm. this year I wanted to evolve again. So my goal was to have our goal, really. Let's be honest, I've George is very much a part of this year's fundraiser. And um, I definitely invited her to be a part of it because I can't, like, I can't do it on my own anymore. Um, and so, yeah, our goal, we definitely have more more things in the pipeline but mm. the reality is life is so busy yeah so i think we're quite happy with the fact that this year the the ultimate outcome will be that there are three events there's mm. the main the main fitness fundraiser which is the i'm the i'm multi half and then we've already had a quiz night earlier in the year mm. um and then yeah on the 10th of november we're having our first ever golf day which will be That'd pretty be cool i think yeah Where i'm about? really excited Horsham yeah Horsham yep. downs so do you have any more spots available? Um, we're actually sold out at the no. moment. Um, we do, do have. At the moment? <laughs> well, you got a jam some more in there. No, yeah. There's always a way to sneak in a few yeah, extras, right? So I don't like to say no to people, yeah. and when it comes to this kind of stuff, so um, yeah, if there are people out there that want to get involved, then I will find a way for people to get involved. <laughs> so um, there's no point turning down offers yeah. for this kind of thing. So. Logistically, I'm sure if my dad was listening to this, he'd be cringing on the inside going, once it's full, it's full. Like, (laughs) we can't logistically make it work, but I will make it work. Like, we would find ways if there were more people that reached out that wanted to be a part of it. So, yeah, the golf day, the golf day fills me with excitement. It's going to be a really good day, I think. Um, Golf's fucking good, man. Golf is, yeah. I played when I was younger and... What a game! Like, but I mean, what a good way to bring people together too. Exactly, right? pulling people together. Yeah, uh, quite often tradies love it as well. In yep. a sense, like day off work, getting on the piss. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck help. Yeah, well, I look at the teams that we've got in. So it's a nine-hole golf course. So it's literally like nine holes of Amber-style golf. Mm. Two teams per hole, three people in a team, kind yeah. of thing. So eighteen teams, and I look at the teams that have signed up. And um, I was saying to someone the other day. It's amazing the mixture of people that you get to an event like that. So I think out of the 18 teams, there are about six teams that are real estate agents. There yeah. are yeah, like Reese three. Own, yeah, yeah, yeah Reese is in there. Um, there are about three teams that are, yeah, tradies or um, like laborers. And then there are corporate business people. And yeah, like you just see all walks of life come together in an okay. event like this. And it's, it's so cool because as I say, fitness and the whole – BFT scene that we started off in was one thing, but mm. it really misses a big pool of people in the community. And mm. I feel like we're starting to kind of open these avenues and open these windows into new parts and pockets of the community that we mm. can kind of capture in this kind of sweat for the head sort of I like it. vibe. Yeah. What are some challenges you'd like to achieve with sweat for the head? I think as as I look at Sweat for the Head where we're at at the moment, um, I think my biggest, the biggest thing that I always have in the back of my mind is just what what do I want it to be? Like mm. what what is the ultimate vision for Sweat for the Head? And how the biggest challenge every time we make a post or we share, it, we share a message is 
how do I continually through Sweat for the Head and through the community that we've created drive this message of one, it's okay not to be okay, but two, there are organizations out there for you to go to, whether it's Lifeline or another organization. Um, And my biggest fear always is that we lose sight of what we're representing and what we're trying to achieve. It's like you fundraise money and people, you start thinking about it as a fundraiser. You're Mm -hmm. fundraising, fundraising, fundraising. Yeah. But the really underlying message is the fact of about like, yeah, talking to people Mm -hmm. when you're not okay and stuff. So how, how do you draw that out? It's hard. I'm sure that's what you're knocking with in your head in terms yeah. of this whole vision. Yeah. Because you're really raising hard. awareness here for the, the charity, but you're also raising awareness for the, the underlying issue, aren't you? Yeah. Yes, I am, and we are. Um, but I've also always held this kind of idea that, um, well, in amongst – my biggest thing is that I've always wanted to promote the organizations. Mm. And the reason I want to do that is because I'm not a guidance counsellor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I am not personally a person that is going to be able to help the most vulnerable in our society. A hundred percent, I can be empathetic and I can be supportive and I can be there for my friends and family. And I will be that person. Don't get me wrong. But I want other people to know that there are places out there to go to and that these places are free and they're there for you all the time. Like Lifeline in itself is there 365 days of the year, 24-7, mm. text, phone call, you name it, they're there, regardless of the level of support that they get from the country, right? So it's such a toss-up to know what to say and how to say it. And I also find because mental health challenges look so different on everyone, it's also really easy to put your foot in it if you say it wrong to someone, mm. right? So it's easier and personally I think more beneficial if we're constantly raising that kind of voice and that presence and awareness for the people that can genuinely help mm-hmm. at that stage. Um, so that's I think the biggest challenge is to remember to always bring Sweep for the Head and the community back and like refocus mm-hmm. on that purpose because especially when you're out there and like the easiest way to keep people involved and keep them along on their journey is to show them what you're doing, Mm. right? And so, like, we're out there posting about a training ride that we did on the weekend or about a swim that we've done or what have you, but you can follow our journeys on our personal social media accounts. Like, Sweat for the Head, while it's all part of the journey that we're on for this physical thing, actually the underlying message is still we're on this journey because we've got a purpose. Do you ever talk about your shit days? I have, mm-hmm. yep, I have, 100%, um, but probably not enough. Yeah, it's just sometimes, fuck, man, you wake up, eh? you don't want to be out there. Mm-hmm. You get out today there. Today is a perfect example. Like, you walked right. in here today and you were like, what's your training that you've done today? And I said, I haven't trained. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. And, um, yeah, I have left it late in the day, so now I'm going to really have to think about what I'm going to get out there and do. Um, but It's a fucking good day for a run, I'll tell you that. Yeah, great day for a run. <laughs> yeah, because really, you run out there. Yeah. It's fucking wet. It's fucking cold. Yeah, no one's out there. It's a Saturday afternoon. What's the time now? It's five thirty. Yeah, 
no one's going to be out there. It's so empowering just running down the middle of the street with fucking wet shoes knowing that no one else is going to be uh-huh. fucking doing that. Yeah. And I love the like the wind on your back and then oh, in your face and the empowering. constant rotation of you run a block and it feels like everywhere you turn, like the wind's against you. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a feeling. But it's those hard days that make the good days feel better. Better. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the answer is yes, 100%. I've shared some lows, but not enough. And I think it plays into exactly everything that it stands for and that it's hard to be vulnerable and it's hard to be vulnerable openly. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to be vulnerable, as we've talked about, to the people that um, you care about most. Oh, fuck Right? Yeah. So yeah. the people that immediately are on the bandwagon and a part of your community are those people. So the Sweat for the Head community starts with that core group of people and then branches out into the community. So Mm. you know every time you share a crap day, you're sharing it blatantly with the people that you love the most, which is the hardest thing to do. So, yeah, it's definitely a work in progress in that sense. Are you doing okay? Yeah. Mentally? Yeah. I think I've... I think I'm very lucky to be surrounded by the people that I'm surrounded by and to feel the level of confidence that I do and being able to sit here and say, I am okay. And and on the days where I'm not, I know where I can go. Mm. Um, I have the support in my life and the ones that I love the most and the relationship with those people where, yeah, I am lucky enough to be able to turn to them and open up to them in different senses. Um, so, yeah, I'm okay. Anything else you'd like to add then? Any plugs or anything? Look, selfish plugs would always be, like, follow along, join yeah. the community, be a so part of it. Sweat um, for the Head. So there is a Facebook page There is a Facebook well. page. Yeah, Facebook, yeah, and Facebook and Instagram, Sweat for the Head. Mm-hmm. Um, both pages will have, yeah, our donations link in the bio. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if if anyone, um, I guess, listening has the ability to donate, please, yeah, please, if you can, do. Even mm-hmm. if it's literally the cost of your coffee on Monday morning. Um, every dollar is mm. a part of the bigger picture. So, But also stay tuned for the events. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, follow along, see how the Ironman goes, see yeah. how the golf day goes, be a I, part um, of it. definitely feel better donating for those idiots doing something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm clapping for those idiots, yeah. you know. Uh, personally, I wouldn't be like just dropping five bucks just because yeah um, but yeah like when you do an event like fuck yeah yeah that's where I'm at and I think my biggest um my biggest thing as well is if you do follow along um if you are sort of on the fence with yeah as you say the ability to just donate for the sake of donating especially at the moment like I'm not I'm not naive to the situation that everyone faces oh, at the moment like purse strings yeah. are tight man like oh, yeah. um I work for like I work for a company that's in FMCG and does grocery products and I know what it's like to go to the grocery store and buy products and mm. see the behind the scenes of the purse strings tightening and what that means for consumers mm. from that point of view. So it's not easy to drop $5. Like, God, life is happier for some people with coffee. So I get it. If you need to buy your coffee on Monday, buy your coffee on Monday. But, yeah, if you follow along um, on Sweep for the Head, my biggest um, piece is – 
follow along for the events because, mm-hmm. yeah, we do the fitness ones and, you know, you can donate to us doing that. But, you know, when Sweat for the Head rolls around again with the next event, the next quiz night or the next golf day or whatever comes next, get involved in that kind of stuff because then ultimately all you're doing is paying to go to an event that you'd go to yeah. as a, in a social setting anyway. Yeah. You're getting something out of it as well. So while you're sitting there helping someone else, you're also probably helping yourself. So, yeah, that would be what I would encourage you to get involved with if donating just to donate isn't something that's a possibility because it's not for everyone. What does the next chapter look like for you? I think the next chapter is so uncertain. Mm -hmm. It's it's really hard to sit here and know exactly what it looks like. Um, Let's just paint a little picture then. You've done six years of study. Yeah. You're now in a full-time adult job. Mm Mm-hmm. You're still a young adult yourself. You've got the rest of your 20s. Mm-hmm. How are you going to navigate this? Yeah, so I'm hoping that the next five years will kind of include a bit. So I actually start a new job in a week's time. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a bit of a, a shock to the system again. So yeah, start this new job. Um, I'm blessed with the fact that my new job comes with a four-day working week. So oh, yeah. I actually will allow a bit more time in my life for these like cup filling mm-hmm. moments. So yeah, I think definitely will involve work. Um, I definitely foresee some more sweat for the head coming through, even though we haven't even got to the end of this year yet. I'm sure I'm signed up for a lifelong um, commitment to this community and everything it stands for. So definitely some of this. Um I am, my partner and I are definitely looking at going overseas in the next few years, um, whether it be to live for a period or just to travel and see the world. So there's a lot on the bucket list and, and the to-do list for the next mm. five years, I guess. Um, time frames for the first time in my life, nothing is time framed and laid out and we've got a house, we've got a dog, we've got friends, family, like our my sister-in-law's having kids and we're watching our nieces grow up and, you know, we're wanting to travel and do all of those kind of fun things. So now it's just biting the bullet and saying, actually, what's stopping us? What does this next chapter look like? And now that COVID's a thing of the past, so much so largely, yeah, I think COVID in itself has really allowed us to go um, far out life short. Like, <laughs> like, what are we doing to um, genuinely, what is stopping you from doing what you want to yeah, do? Yeah. Um, and I think has given, yeah, the big reality check, like, yeah, money is one thing. Like, money is going to help you get everything that you want to yeah. get and do the travel and secure the things that you want to secure, life, right? right? But, like... God, if we decided that next week we wanted to fly to London and start the European summer or European winter or whatever comes next, you know, like, who knows? But there's nothing, genuinely, you will find a way way to make Mm. it work, right? So, yeah, I think I'm, I don't know what the next chapter looks like, but I'm feeling very free at this point, like very open to possibilities and opportunities and that's good excited. i like the fact that you're not scared yeah you're excited that's yeah that's a key part i think scared is it's a really hard way to live because mm-hmm. you invest so much time and energy into being scared yeah yeah, yeah. um finished with a quote or words of wisdom for our listeners yeah, I feel like I've thrown a through like a few Fuck in there you, throughout. Yeah, yeah. yeah I do love like a good motto, but I do have a couple written down. 
um, obviously a huge one for me is that whole, um, that whole idea of loving yourself as a mm. gift and a blessing and understanding yourself is truly profound. But, um, I think one of my other big mantras that I live by is that the realization, I guess, um, that you sitting here in this very moment, like right now, you are not all that you're ever going to be. And I think as you, as soon as you realize that what you are now is not what you're destined to be forever and every day is a learning day, the more freeing the rest of your life will feel. Um, like life hits you with so many opportunities to develop and become more than what you currently are. And I think, yeah, that yeah. ability to realize that you're not pigeon-toed into what like, yeah, your choices have led you to where you are today, yeah. but you can choose to pivot and you can choose to become something yeah, else. Sure. So, yeah, I think that realisation that you are forever going to evolve um, is truly freeing. Yeah. No, I like that. That's fucking good. Mm. Uh, my one this week is, like, yeah, it, it came into my head because of your training, mm-hmm. but also the same thing with that is like, you may be at the bottom of your life, whatever, mm-hmm. but you know that's not that's not it. You know you can continually progress yep. and accept whatever. My one is success is the sum of all efforts repeated every day, mm-hmm. of, of small efforts repeated every day. Mm-hmm. So it's just those small things that you keep on doing. Well, I suppose if you repeat the shit stuff, then you'll keep on going shit. But <laughs> let's not say it. Success is the sum of small efforts repeated every day. Yeah. So that is like going for a short run in the rain this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Going for a swim early morning when you don't want to do it. You repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. You'll get success. A hundred percent. They say like um, success and failure are both seven letter words and both the opportunity to ask yourself what's next. Right? So. Fuck that. <laughs> That's another good nugget. <laughs> Plays, I think, nicely into both of our sort of like quotes for today. Like exactly what you're saying. Like, yes, you do. If you continually do the small things every day successfully, then you're going to find success. But as you say, if you keep doing crap things over and over again, yeah, yeah, remember that, yeah, the failures and the success are both opportunities to say, yeah, what's next and find that, that evolution and that ability to keep moving forward. Yeah. Fuck, you do love it. I do love a good like. quote, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> a good little mantra. Not exactly like your <laughs> cliche, like, quotes for the whiteboard. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely that, that perspective on life and that yeah. ability to find the positives in those situations, right? And find something that really, like, them. fuels your... <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the thing between, like, a quote where you're trying to remember word for word yeah. and that feeling, like, yeah, that yeah. that understanding of what you're trying to achieve from reading the words that make up that yeah. quote. Yeah. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> now, thank you so much for your valuable time. Oh, thank um, you. And sharing this amazing story. Um, I'm definitely going to s- jump on board with this. going to rip my singlet. I can't wait. <laughs> um, yeah, everybody just uh, jump on board as well. Obviously, there's stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, so stay tuned, Instagram, Facebook. I will chuck it in the description. Uh, hyperlink it. Amazing. Um, yeah, no. Nah. Cheers, everybody. Um. Okay. <laughs> yep, that's us. See you later.